On December 7th, 1941, my great uncle, Petty Officer Second Class Kenneth Taft Layman's, was aboard the USS Nevada at Pearl Harbor when he laid down his life in service to this country. And the Secretary of the Navy said in honoring my great uncle, for distinguished devotion to duty and extraordinary courage and disregard of his own safety, when as gun captain of a five-inch anti-aircraft gun on USS Nevada, he maintained an effective fire with his gun in local control despite heavy casualties on his gun bomb hits, exploding ammunition on deck, and serious fires until killed at his station. This weekend, we as a nation pause to remember those who died in service as members of the United States Armed Forces. And we as individuals are compelled to personally reflect on the cost of freedom. It is not free. Memorial Day is also known as Decoration Day because the tradition has been to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers with flowers or by placing flags there. The idea is that we commemorate the lives of those whose lives have been laid down. As part of Memorial Day here at First Baptist Church, we remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And personally, we are compelled to remember the cost of our spiritual freedoms. They are not free. One way that we are commended to commemorate the life of Jesus is through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which we will share in this morning. In fact, we have many of our homebound members and those who can't be with us this morning who are joining with us by television and via the internet. They have church members there with them who will serve the elements in conjunction with our service this morning. So to those of you who are not here, we are so thankful to have you as members of our church, as part of our congregation. And may the presence of Jesus be with you as you celebrate the Lord's Supper with us this morning. The church at Corinth was a dysfunctional congregation. And Paul wrote to confront them regarding the disunity that they had in their, uh, in their congregation. And to also correct them the way that they conducted themselves. So it was a rebuke coupled with an admonition. You're living this way, you need to live this way. And in the last part of chapter 11, Paul offers comment on the Lord's Supper, which stands really in sharp contrast to the Corinthian behavior that we discover when we read through 1 Corinthians. And what's interesting is that Paul does not write to them to correct their theology, their understanding of what the Lord's Supper is about. Instead, Paul is concerned with their actions that they have towards one another, their attitudes that um, they have towards those both in the body and outside of the body of Christ. The way they treated one another, and especially those that they thought less of, was really defiling this symbolic practice of the Lord's Supper. So join with me in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read to you beginning in verses 23. I'll read through verse 29. For I receive from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until his coming. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Paul confronts the church at Corinth for their inappropriate activity, their inappropriate uh, attitude, and reinforces the order and purpose of the Lord's Supper. So what I propose to you this morning is that the scriptures inform our order and practice the purpose behind our celebration of the Lord's Supper. So what is that order and purpose that the scriptures offer? Well, I think Paul here in 1 Corinthians 11 demonstrates that when we share at the Lord's table, we do so in remembrance of Jesus, in anticipation of his return, and under a manner of self-examination. So let's look at those verses 23 through 25 and the command to celebrate communion in remembrance of Jesus. Paul says here, In verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul is illustrating to us that practicing the Lord's Supper is a tradition that was handed from Jesus first to his disciples. The disciples who were there evidently as Jesus commanded passed it along. And so perhaps Paul first partook of the Lord's Supper whenever he was converted on the way to Damascus. He was with Ananias, perhaps it was there, maybe Uh, Galatians says he went to Jerusalem for about 15 days to spend time with Peter. Maybe it was there that he first shared in the Lord's Supper. But the idea is what we celebrate this morning as believers in Jesus Christ is a tradition that has been transmitted from one generation to the next for 2,000 years. So it's ancient, but it's very sacred. And that's what Paul is referencing when he points out the origin of the meal on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. We remember that day as Maundy Thursday. He was with his disciples in the upper room of Jerusalem. They took the Passover meal together, and it's there that he kind of instituted the Lord's Supper that we'll look at this morning. He shared in the meal, and then he made comments in 1 Corinthians 11 that still influence what we will say this morning. It was that evening that he washed his disciples' feet, and then Judas left, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, And Judas returned with the the guard, and he was betrayed. Jesus was arrested, and all of this was in God's plan. So the disciples were together in the upper room. They were sharing in the Seder, or the Passover meal. The Seder is also a traditional meal that's very ancient. It's an archaic thing. Since the days of the Hebrews, whenever they were in Egypt, and Moses was there, and they were delivered out of Egypt. That's how long they'd been practicing the Passover meal. In fact, it's meant to be a memorial to the Passover event. Exodus 12, 14 says, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So Jesus is sharing in this memorial meal with his disciples, and now he institutes a new memorial. Paul's description here of the meal offers six actions that encompass the ceremony. First, it says he took the bread. Well, bread was kind, it's a staple 
among the Hebrew people, the Jewish people at this time. In some places, it's rice and beans. In some places, they drink coffee and tea. There, it's bread and fruit of the vine. And so he took the bread. It says uh, he took it. Second, he blessed it. And then third, he broke the bread. And of course, we recognize the symbolism in that broken bread, just like the broken body of Jesus Christ in his crucifixion and his death. But I think Paul is also pointing to something else here when he focuses on the broken bread. He is placing emphasis on equality in the body of Christ. The Corinthians had a problem with showing favoritism. Some people they included, plenty of people they excluded. So in breaking the bread and each person taking the por a portion of it shows this equality that's there in the body of Christ. Fourth, we have Jesus' words here. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this phrase, this is my body, has caused serious issues in the church for millennia. This sentence encompasses the original debate around what the meaning of is is. Some denominations teach that the bread in the blessing actually becomes the body or the flesh of Jesus. And it's only the priests who can offer this blessing for this transubstantiation of the bread. Only the priests. And so based on that, that's one of the many reasons for the Protestant Reformation. Because it was excluding the clergy, uh, excluding the clergy from the laity. And so that was part of the reason. Other denominations, Protestant denominations, teach that the bread in the, in the blessing, excuse me, they believe that the body of Jesus is present with the bread. Not that the bread becomes the body, but that the body is present there. But we, Baptists and many other denominations, Protestant denominations, find that the best understanding here of the meaning of is, is that was symbolic. Jesus is saying this bread symbolizes my body. This does not reduce the power of sharing in communion. There's re very rich and meaningful symbol here with actual realities for us this morning that Jesus says this bread symbolizes my body. Fifth thing, Jesus took the cup, which would be the cup of wine that was shared at the uh, Passover meal at the Seder. I think traditionally there's four cups at the Seder meal. Many believe this would have been the third cup, the one after the meal. He says this is after supper. And it was the cup that was taken in conjunction with uh, blessings of God and recitation of scripture. And it's here that Jesus pauses and he makes comment. And the sixth key element, the final one here in the meal, is that Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we partake of the Lord's table... We have our minds set on the body of Christ and the blood of his sacrifice. Secondly, we participate in fellowship with other believers. We don't do this in seclusion. We do this with one another. We look around and we see all the differences, all the different backgrounds, different nationalities. We see different successes, different strengths, different weaknesses, different failures. But we all come to the table in the same way and share in common. We all come needy. Nobody comes deserving of Jesus' body and blood. Third, we recognize ourselves as taking this meal in the presence of Jesus. He is with us. So the purpose of the Seder was to bring the Jewish participants into this personal experience of the first Passover, when the Hebrews were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. 
So every Jew in every generation is expected to look on himself as if he came forth out of Egypt. That's what it means to be uh, Jewish religiously. I identify with those that were standing on the banks of the Red Sea and were delivered out of bondage and slavery, out of the hands of Pharaoh and into a promised land. So if Jesus had this in mind when he said, do this in remembrance of me, then in effect he is calling each of us, you and me, to personally go back to the night of the Last Supper as if we are reclining at the Passover table as Jesus breaks the bread and offers the cup. So today, as we memorialize the life of Jesus and we commemorate his life by sharing at the Lord's table, I want to ask you, go there in your mind. Today we are asked to see ourselves as if we are actually dining with Jesus. It's the eve of his crucifixion. We receive the bread as a symbol of his body. We receive the cup as a symbol of his blood. He is here with us in this moment. So the purpose is, first of all, in remembrance of Jesus. Second, it is in anticipation that he's going to return. In verse 26, we discover the memorial character of this meal. This offers us really the primary motivation behind our sharing and communion. Why do we do this? Well, it, he writes here, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So first of all, we take this meal and we proclaim Jesus' death. The Passover meal is about God's triumph over Pharaoh in Egypt and delivering the Hebrews from slavery and the sacrifice were the Egyptians. The firstborn in that final judgment, the Egyptian soldiers in the Red Sea. But in the New Covenant, God delivers believers from the slavery of sin and the sacrifice is Jesus. Jesus, who was innocent of every crime, but endured the punishment of every criminal. That's what we declare. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Jesus has died. But his death means life for us. And then Paul adds a clause to this on verse 26. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus died, but he is not dead. He is alive. The grave is empty. He is with the Father, and we believe Jesus will return. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. It could be in this very moment, but we know that his return is inevitable. So as we wait on him, we share in this meal, is what the scripture says. So the table of the Lord not only calls us to reflect back to the past event of the cross, but recalls Jesus' words of promise and points us to the coming kingdom of God there's coming a day when everything will be made right Revelation 19 describes it as a wedding feast the wedding feast of the lamb that will be celebrated on that day well that day is the day when Jesus returns the sky splits he comes and so that's what we remember this is did you ever think about that day that moment I think I mentioned last week that I saw this guy and I said this might be it just come on back we take the Lord's Supper in anticipation of that day when everything will be made right. Justice will flow like mighty waters. Love will be perfected. Tears will be wiped away. There will be no more separation. So as we partake, we fix our attention on what is to come. We celebrate in remembrance, 
We celebrate out of anticipation. And thirdly, under self-examination. Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty. Now I want you to notice, he is not saying whoever is unworthy shall be guilty. That's a, this is a very significant thing. He is not saying those who are unworthy that come to the table to share is going to be guilty. That's not what he says. Because who is worthy to come to the table? Who's worthy to take the bread? Who's worthy to take the, the cup? Not one of us. Not even on our best day. In all of our righteousness, it's like filthiness before Jesus. So none of us are worthy. Paul's concern is those who come unworthy, but then take it in an unworthy manner. So what's he talking about here? He's saying those who make a mockery of this most sacred and solemn meal, those are the ones who will be guilty. These are believers who come to the table without considering Jesus. They don't think of his body, and they don't think of his blood. They don't think of his death. They don't think of the cross. They don't think of the body of Jesus seen in the church. They exclude others. And only certain people are worthy to receive forgiveness that's found in Jesus' body and blood. So the scriptures compel us to come to the Lord's table and examine our genuineness as disciples of Christ. So I would encourage you today to reflect on the fact that we all come to the table with the same need. Every one of us. We're all sinners. We all need forgiveness Maybe you feel a little taller today, a little smarter, a little wiser, a little wealthier. Maybe you've got a better pedigree. Maybe you've got better looks. Or maybe some of you come to the table and you feel a little smaller. You feel weaker. You feel shame. And you feel all kinds of brokenness. But at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Nobody has advantage on Jesus. Nobody has the upper hand. We all have the same need. So as we partake, we do so in remembrance, out of anticipation, and under self-examination. Michael Green gives an excellent summary of the theology of the Lord's Supper that Paul stresses in this passage. He says this, he says, we look back to Christ's death. We look in through self-examination. We look up in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We look around in fellowship with other believers. We look forward to Christ's return and we look outward to those who are not here yet. Those that we need to proclaim the truth of God's word through. So this morning, you should not refrain if you feel too sinful or far from God. That's not Paul's purpose in writing these, the, the, this, these words. If you're a Christian, you should partake. But first examine yourself. Are you looking at the people around you as if the ground is level at the cross of Christ. We all need Jesus. Desperately. Additionally, I think this passage, based on the context of 1 Corinthians, would challenge us to consider, are we mindful of those who have needs that are among us? The Corinthians did not look out for those who had needs. But God demands generosity. And God's command to generosity is given in context of what he gave us. Jesus he gave us gave to us so that we could be forgiven if you've never received Jesus would you believe him and receive him today this meal symbolizes Christ's body broken for you this meal symbolizes Jesus's blood shed for you I don't know how far you feel from the Lord I don't know how much shame you carry in here in this moment I don't know if you feel rejected or left out but 
you have a visual aid this morning that Jesus is calling you to his table. There is a seat for you at his table. There is forgiveness for you at this table. There is enough to meet all of your needs at this table. God made you. He loves you. He knows all about you, and he's not repelled by you, nor is he impressed. He's simply filled with love. So if God's speaking to your heart this morning, would you respond? Our Father in God, we thank you that today as we come to celebrate this ancient but sacred moment, Lord, we pray that you would work in the hearts of the people. Father, if you're speaking to lives today, I pray that they would respond. Perhaps it's to respond to you, Jesus, as a, to become a child of God, or maybe it's to follow in believer's baptism, whatever it might be. As you, you work, I pray that they would respond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation before we share in the Lord's Supper. If God's speaking to your heart today, maybe today you need to come clean before the Lord or to join the church. I'm going to ask you to stand. As God's working in your heart, the choir will sing, you respond. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Our Father, as we come to this moment to commemorate and remember Jesus and proclaim his death until Jesus returns. We pray now that you would bless this meal. Pray, pray that you would bless all who partake in it. God, may you be honored in it. Thank you for joining with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. Heavenly Father, as we come now to receive this cup, we know we are receiving it from the hands of Jesus, from the life of Jesus. Thank you that the blood that you shed for us covers every spot and is sufficient for every need. Help us now to take this in a worthy manner. In Christ's name, amen.
this cup as the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Father, we praise you now for being our glorious maker. We know that you are here among us. Now, Father, as we go out, help us to go out in the power of the Spirit. Help us to be bold with what we believe. God, help us to proclaim to those who are not here to share in the Lord's table because that's what we do this for. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.